0: they say they say we should have known better than to fall so deep down deep down into this rabbit hole ready it's time again to venture down the rabbit hole into the world of cybersecurity you're plugged into the podcast for security leaders and practitioners with a business sense Prepare for unique interviews, insights, and practical advice that makes your job just a bit easier. And now, please welcome your guides on this adventure, James Jardine and the White Rabbits. Ruffaloose. It's <laughs> That's fine.
1: It's good. All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. And good evening. Welcome down to Security Rabbit Hole to yet another edition of the Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. This is Raf, and uh, right in the middle there is Mr. James. How's it going, sir? And dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun! We welcome back to the show Mr. Sean Tuma. Hey, buddy. Howdy from the great state of Texas. Is it uh, the great cold state of Texas? You guys didn't freeze this year, did you? Man, it's cold today. It was like
2: in the 70s, Saturday, and now we're in the 30s. I'm like, come on.
1: It's so cold his uh, his uh, internet connection's freezing. <laughs> you know that that wouldn't be a surprise. Oh man! All right. Well, it's good to have you back on the show, Bud. Um, you know, there's a lot of things we could talk about. Uh, for example, some of the uh, backstories you've been telling us. But uh, I, I thought uh, it, it, it caught my attention when you said, you know, I think some people are the companies are finally starting to learn their lesson and do something proactive. And I went, oh, that's newsworthy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, I've been I've been so so most of my work, our team's work is still on the breach side. We're breach counsel, breach coach, whatever you want to call us. We Mm -hmm. handle from the time something bad happens through the end, yeah. whether it's regulatory litigation or whatever. That's still the bulk of our work. But God, for 10 years now, I've been trying to to develop this like risk management planning, like risk management programs for cyber and get companies involved in that. And it has just been falling on dead ears. I mean, or deaf ears, whatever the word is. I don't know. But (laughs) there's no, no takers for years. Over the last six months, we are just seeing a steady increase of people saying, hey, you know, maybe we should pay attention to this before the boom, you know, let's, let's oh. try to, to do something. And and it's great because, you know, it, I mean, look, what keeps us all in business on the, the IR side is just dumb mistakes, low hanging fruit. I mean, there's the sophisticated stuff and sure. we get it sometimes, but not very often.
3: What are those key indicators that you're seeing, Sean, that, that people are starting to, Take it in that manner.
2: Well, you know, um, it, 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 there's a bunch of things, James. I think I, I think cyber insurance is driving a lot of this. Um, for years, people companies have been relying on cyber insurance as a uh, I don't want to say a complete crutch, but somewhat of a fallback. And the insurance companies are saying, "No, we're not. We're not insuring you." Unless you meet a certain, you know, threshold. And we did a a podcast last summer on that. We did. I think that's helping. I think um, ransomware, you know, data breaches are one thing. Ransomware is another story. Companies are realizing when you get hit with that, you're dead in the water. Unless you're prepared. That's a big issue. And we're hearing more and more of it's not just the sophisticated tech companies or the the bigger companies but we're starting to see more and more that it's smaller mom and pop type companies you know it's your mid-sized mid-market companies that that are in manufacturing and aren't b2b to c but b2b and they're getting shut down and so i think people are starting to see it can happen. It, it truly can happen to any of us which is what we've all been preaching for years now
1: yeah I, I'm curious though it was as you um, as you as you talk to folks how different is the response to uh, as a military likes to say left of boom right uh, how how uh, how has that response changed are people are you getting folks coming to you saying hey listen we need to be prepared. Or is it a, a conversation you start having with them that they're like, you know what, that's probably a good idea? Because as you said, right, the, the worst time to prepare uh, for the breach, or especially with ransomware, is after it's happened because there's no preparation. There's nothing you can do.
2: Yeah, so most of them <clears> – <throat> Excuse me. I got I this uh, this Texas weather affecting me. Um, not wow. COVID. Y'all are good. Y'all are safe through the microphone. <laughs> but
1: uh... I need to mask up. <laughs>
2: You know, most of them come to me with with some discreet question, right? It's, hey, we're looking to get an insurance policy. Can you help us determine what's the best kind of coverage you get? Mm -hmm. Or um, I've I've gotten quite a few that come in through the, uh, hey, we went to get insurance and they said we have to have an incident response plan. Can you help us? put together an incident response plan. And I get, um, I get several who are, who are like our existing law firm clients that learn our firm has a cyber practice. Right. And they say, Oh, you know, we've heard about this. Can you give us some tips? And it may, and it starts with something like a very simple conversation. Um, you know, do you have internal IT or you have some guy in the basement with a server in the closet, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if so, I'll always ask a couple of simple questions, you know, how are you backing up your data and are you sure it's really getting done that way? Um, do, are you using RDP in your environment? Well, what's RDP remote desktop? <laughs> well, what's that? It's, The easiest way people could figure out during COVID to connect. Are you just doing that or do you have a VPN? Oh, yeah, we have a VPN. Do you have multi-factor authentication on that, right? Exactly. Multi-factor. Oh, a username password. No. Do you have a second step, right? These are the real conversations. And then, okay, um, you know, what are you using for your email? Always Office 365. Are you using multi-factor on that? Because those are the key biggest things that I'm still seeing breaches come in. of, Right. And, and the answer is always, well, I'm not sure. Well, if you're not sure, that's a bad thing. We yeah. need to be sure of these kind of things. Is there somebody else I can talk to? Yeah. And then I'll ask them like, hey, you know, do you have a program in place for how you do all this? You know, and who's in charge? Who's responsible? Well, nobody's ever in charge. Nobody's ever responsible. Right. And so it just, it's, it's kind of all amazing. about starting that conversation. And then, like with the incident response planning one, that's one where I always tell them you know, to me, an incident response plan as a breach coach is pretty much worthless. I've yeah. never yet asked somebody on the day of boom to send me your incident response plan. <laughs> but, but I know you need it. You need it for the carriers, you need it for your board, you need it for the regulators. So we'll do it, but the beauty is the putting it together. That's the magic, is the getting people to start the conversation. I mean, I've got one sheet that if I've got that, we can run a breach or an incident, I should say, before we know it's a breach. But it's about having that conversation because at any point in that conversation, it needs to lead into the basic questions where we then find out they're not doing all this stuff. And these are things Sean, the lawyer, probably more of a consultant now in this role than than anything, but Sean with no technical experience can start saying, hey, you need to do this and then I can lead them into the right providers who I know through my relationships can then come in and help them beef up where they need it.
3: So, Sean, you started off saying like people are like we're starting to turn that corner. People are starting to kind of get it. So asking those questions when you're talking to somebody, is there anything specific within some of those lists that you're seeing commonly where people are all of a sudden giving the better answer? You know, like you said, Oh, do you use RDP? Do you use this? Do you, are are we, is there something in those questions that you're seeing a shift in responses that, wow, we're really starting to kind of get this piece? You
2: know, the, the best place I'm seeing it, James is when they say they're using an msp when they say they're using outsourced a legitimate msp not just your five it guys who say we can throw up a website and you know charge some money for hacking around on weekends but but when they're using a true msp to me that's the biggest sigh of relief right there because at least they have some experience and some expertise at some level that they're bringing to bear. Um, Mm -hmm. As far as the most common thing, I think, to directly answer the examples you gave, uh, multi-factor authentication is going to be the one that we're seeing more and more of that's become much more common. Even Uh, even the CEOs get it now,
1: right? I'm I'm curious. You mentioned uh, insurance. Is that is that what's and we've we've been speculating that that's going to drive. In fact, uh, you had the I, I it was me you and Scott Scott right Scott John uh, Scranton, Sean Scranton. That's yeah. yes that's Scott Sean Scranton, the Sean and Sean show. Yeah, it was terrifying. Um, <laughs> too many Seans. but uh, we we had at that point speculated that insurance was going to drive a lot of this marketplace. Right, it's going to drive a lot of this change. Is that what's driving it, or is it? Do you think yeah. it's more of a reaction to um, breaches, or do you think it's a it's a market-driven, meaning insurance-driven, uh, that they can't get insurance until they satisfy some level of requirements and they know they need insurance?
2: So I'm seeing it more from insurance because of clients getting pushed back and then coming to us to say, hey, what do we do? <clears throat> but I think You know, when I talk to my friends who are true experts in the insurance industry, they'll still say that the market penetration is like way low. I don't know what the numbers are. Way less than 50 percent, probably way less than 25 percent. So that that suggests to me that's really not the true driver. I think I think awareness and education is helping. I think. You know, everybody's got to have their own list of best practices. None of us can just be happy with one and say, okay, let's go do it. We've got to all try to get one that's a little bit better that has our name on it. But we're seeing that list of best practices now always have at the very tip top, somewhere within the top five, you know, multi-factor authentication, good password policies. Those are a good
3: start. We're actually getting a foundation right (laughs) yeah like you just go do the fundamentals so like with all these different lists are we finally getting a fundamentals like this top five is finally bubbling up and we've got something to say okay these are kind of the the thing every list covers here's the commonalities do these and you're on the right foot
2: exactly and that's what i try to tell people is Let's not spend all our time sitting around trying to come up with the very best, most perfect list of things to do. Just go do some. You know, yeah. stop talking about it and thinking about it. Just go pick these top five and do them. You know, because you're going to reduce your risk so much by just those the fundamentals, James. You know, like right. that. But FFA,
3: Like, that's a huge thing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think People, you know, cybersecurity, cyber hygiene has made its way onto the front page of the news. I mean, it's truly, it's now, you know, look at the war in, in the Ukraine. I mean, the top headlines you're seeing in a lot of this is cyber attacks and the the overflow and, and how it's going to impact others. That's not just us within this industry sitting around talking in our little echo chamber. That's the front
1: page of Daily news, whatever it is, yeah.
2: People, are, it, this is working
1: well. There's a lot of, I mean, the market right now is flooded with just so much um, hype and, and and fear about the Russians attempting to disrupt, uh, degrade our financial, uh, our critical infrastructure, and things like you know our water supply and stuff like that. I wonder. I wonder how many security leads are looking at current events and, and finally, like it's just finally starting to dawn on them that, wow, we should probably prepare for some of this, right? Cause an IR plan, a disaster recovery plan isn't, I mean, it, it, it used to be fundamental. I, I worked at a, you know, several companies, um, 20, 25 years back that they have a, you know, uh, disaster recovery, disaster recovery BCP plan that was, but of course the problem was it was like that thick, it was in a manual yeah. somewhere. And exactly. nobody was ever, like when the building was burning, nobody's ever gonna go, step one. Yeah, that that's why I've got
2: a one pager. I've got a one pager that I freely give out to anybody that wants it. Just fill this in. If we've got this, we're good, right? But the magic is not in having the binder. Or, you know, with the index and the tabs to yeah, pull yeah, out. Yeah. The magic is in putting the key people together to come up with it, to have them sitting around that conference table with a whiteboard to go, backups. Oh, wait, backups. Who's responsible for that? Oh, wait, you, you, wait, who's doing this? Well, who's checked it? Where is it? <laughs> That's the better you one. Know? Oh, well, nobody's checked it. Maybe we should go check it. Oh shit, it didn't yeah. work. You know, what? It, hey, that's the magic right there of having that happen before the event instead of after, which we see far too often. You know, well, well we've been we backing up for
3: 10, 10 years. years. Well, it that's a driver, <laughs> driver for the binder, though, right? Like the creation of the binder solves all those problems. The binder is just the, the documentation to show that you did that's it. That's
2: right. Because going through that process, you're you're improving on all these areas as you work through them. And that's, you guys, I know I've said it here before. I'm going to get this phrase trademarked because this is mine. Reasonable cybersecurity is a process. It's not a definition. It's going through that process and working through it. And it's never ending. It's managing risk.
1: Hey, speaking of reasonable cybersecurity, we had talked about probably at least a half a dozen times, Sean, on this podcast about how what is necessary and proper, reasonable, uh, is going to be determined by the courts, not by some framework, not by NIST, not by CISA, right, not by anybody else. It would ultimately be determined by the courts when somebody sues you uh, because they they say you didn't do the net, you know the minimum necessary. Has that has that um, the 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 minimum requirement or the necessary and proper has that shifted at all so
2: we're seeing more and more people use nist you know nist okay well who actually does everything that is within nist you know all right so it's great to at least look to nist we're at least moving in that direction a little bit um and and we're looking at basically any time so in, in plaintiffs in class action lawsuits, if you have an incident that is a breach, your you had your security was not reasonable. They're gonna say no matter what, because it happened you didn't have re- reasonable security. It's an absolute standard to them. Obviously, the courts aren't saying that, but that's what the allegations against you are. Yeah. We're seeing some regulators in certain states that are taking very aggressive positions like that. Um, I won't mention them here because I've got active matters with them, but um, they're, they're taking really aggressive positions like that. But that's where what I mean when I come in and say it's the process. It's not one standard, right? Because... Because number one, we know there's no such thing as absolute security. It's impossible. Right. Number two, we know that what is great security for company A that may be in the same building running out of the same server warehouse or whatever, you know, is completely inappropriate security for company B that just has a different business model or customer base or whatever. Right. So you can't just come up with a list and say, this is what is reasonable for everybody. Like they try to do with the California list that Kamala Harris, when she was the AG pushed out over in California is basically a list of best practices, which is a pretty good list. But you, we know as, as people in this industry, you can't just lay that list on top of, of a company and say, check, check, check. Right. Yeah. It's, going through the process and to me that process what i believe is the most reasonable is you start with your assessment you got to understand the company you got to understand its business its customers its data its operations its network and then you so, got to look at that and say where do our biggest risks lie it's so a case by case basis
1: i'm interested because that 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 to me comes to uh, essentially what we're seeing in the SOC 2 space where it's less about how many boxes you can check and more about how well you do the boxes you can check is is that are you seeing that too yeah yeah absolutely i mean look it you may be you may
2: and you know go through and 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 implement 20 best practices that do absolutely nothing to to effectively improve your security Whereas there may have been one thing that could have improved your security more than all of them that didn't get checked. To me, it's more about figuring out what is that one thing. And now it's hard because I call this the overall business risk assessment phase. I'm looking at the whole business. I'm not looking at just the technical stuff because Mm -hmm. I'm not competent to do that and that's and there's plenty of people who are great at that but one of the things you know when we look at what our objectives here it's really pretty simple we're trying to protect networks and we're trying to protect data if we can do those two things we're doing pretty good
3: yeah. and so
2: so i as a as a privacy cyber attorney start with the data Okay if I'm wanting to reduce a company's risk which is what I'm trying to do how many people do you ever hear talk about data mapping how do you know what you have
1: where it is how sensitive are, it is those are the hard things to do
3: it's how easy do you to you install protect? antivirus was, yeah how do you protect I was going to say like that the, the stuff that you're talking about I I agree with right like that is what an organization should be looking at but I don't know any organization that does that because every little bit and piece that makes up like a security team, one, you sit in the security vacuum, but then you're doing all the things like, Oh, I have to do static analysis or I have to do code review. Or I have to like, you're focusing so minute on all right. those little things. No, like who is the person and it's not going to be the CISO or something like that. Cause that's a whole different role, but who's the person to actually set out and say, we need to analyze our business and look at this and then even if we do that when you get to that we had a breach it goes to court to take it to the level you're trying to take it to is it still not coming down to the opinion of the expert that did this analysis to say well this is this tiny box that this company fits and i think they either met or they did not meet
2: so james was great points um when you when you Number one, when you get to court, you're going to always have experts on both sides. You're going to have an expert that's going to say it's completely unreasonable, and you're going to have an expert that's going to say it's completely perfect, reasonable. I've served as an expert. So both I sides of mainstream media. Works. Then- I, I was an expert on a CFAA matter a few years ago. You know how many hours I had to spend to create the argument that I had to come up with? I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. It it I-, I believed in it, but it was against conventional wisdom.
3: But then, it's of course, you're, control. but you're then limited to you create your argument, they create their argument, right? I mean, this is mainstream media every single day,
2: yeah.
3: And then you've <coughs> got whoever's making the decision, but to to make a decision based on the fact that you have two conflicting facts of science, right? So, like, how, does it then again still come down to like, eh, we feel good or we feel bad who today? It right. Devil, like who do they like? Who can summarize it
2: all in a tweet? Because that's yeah. the, the attention span of 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 all of our of all of us now. Is can it fit into a tweet? Otherwise, it's too deep for us, right? Um, and if you can make it fit into a tweet and make it make sense, you'll get elected. I mean, you will win the case. You know, but, but no. Back to the, the the truth of how it's got to work. So you got to, to me, I always, a, as an attorney, always tried in litigation to figure out the truth first and then fit it in to a story that would suit my client, right? Because it's got to make sense at some level. And with this, what we're trying to do is we're trying to effectively solve the problem as best we can. And and the process that I'm referring to is the evidence of the reasonableness. It's the going through the process to get there that shows we tried, we were diligent. We looked at our business model. We saw that we didn't have customers you know we didn't have customer data we had employee data that was our big focus so we protected that more than we protected maybe our business customer data because the contracts required certain things for that or whatever right and and it's showing you know we you know based on our business model we didn't do certain things that 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 maybe employee training would have been a big deal. So no, we know it's at the top of every list, but for us, it didn't have an impact as much as maybe doing a couple of things over here. It's showing your true, It's showing your work, right? It's back to basic elementary school. And I may have got it wrong, but by God, look at everything I went through to try to get it right. That's my reasonableness.
3: It, it seems like from a security perspective, we're backwards, right? And so like right now we look at it as we've got all these different like compliance needs and this stuff, like go do this and it'll help secure you. Versus what happens when you flip the narrative and you say, look, I've got, say I just started a whole new company. I got my business laid out. I'm gonna start with the legal side and say, if I got breached, what's my defense look like? Okay, what are the key points? Like you're pulling out here. What is all this stuff like? Where do I need to start to make sure I'm doing the stuff that's going to cover this? Because ultimately, if I get breached, the data is what's got stolen or, or whatever happened. That's my critical stuff. So the stuff that we would defend with and say, no, we're doing this. This is reasonable. This is based on our system. This is what we should be doing versus the, well, PCI says I should be doing code reviews or PCI said I'd be patching every Tuesday. Maybe that doesn't fit that narrative. Like, should we be switching that and being like, look, do this thing and and our security to it and so
2: kind of right and i'm saying this because this is how i believe it should and will work when it's truly tested with the right people advocating these issues this is not how probably you know whatever attorney down the street that doesn't really do this stuff would see this right they would look at this and say where's your best practices list pull that california ag's list did you do those things if you didn't do those things then bam right because that's the easy thing to look to to me it's about figuring out what's the most effective things to do and those are the things i see through my daily practice of breach response those are the things that I know when I get a call and they say, We're a mid sized company and we got hit with ransomware. My first question is, Are you running RDP in your environment? Boom. Why? Because 45% of the cases are that, right? <clears throat> That's the effective side. But you know, you raised a good question um, about who can drive this overall business analysis. Part because everybody's in their little place, and that's their responsibility. That's what they're going to deal with, and the you know not touching anything outside of it. Right? Not not that it's not my job, but it's that I got too much to do here. And for most, that's where um, you know I go. I deal with legal a lot, so I deal with the general counsel, who's responsible for the company, right. not one little discrete part of it. And and while your CISO may not report to them, they've got a lot of stroke within the company to say, hey, as you said, James, let's we're looking at legal issues now. And the truth is what I'm doing at this point is not truly legal anymore as it is overall risk, risk management. But it carries with it the, the the feeling of legal, which gets some attention. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's almost like we need two separate security teams or, or teams within an organization in a perfect world. We need one just to go deal with all the compliance stuff and check all the boxes. And then the other to say, OK, they're dealing with all that. Let's us figure out what really matters and let's go do that.
1: Yeah, but that's such like a, such a horrendous waste of effort, right? Because yeah, I mean, this is I, working with customers right now in, in our my day job where they're like, oh, we just need to, you know, this the CIO comes and says, hey, we need to get this compliance checklist done. Never mind that they really don't mean compliance because we're talking about SOC two. There's nothing to comply to, right? So this is certification, anyway. So we got to get this done. I, I got to get these compliance things done. And then we have a separate meeting with the C. So it's like, well, so here's my, here's my plan for this year. And I get the benefit of going. Huh? How come these are different? They're like, wait a minute. I don't get it. How do you, how are you guys not playing off the same book or at least the same group of priorities, right? I mean, yeah. if, if the idea is to preemptively do something so that when you come to have that terrible day or somebody clicks on something that they shouldn't uh, or you know uh, you miss a patch and suddenly two years goes by and somebody goes hey wait a second i could i've hacked all of you um that there is a that there is a now what that isn't we're all dead right like how do we not give up um and so I'd like to say that there's, yeah, you know, I, I really hope that there is that what you're seeing continues a trend that we get more and more and more companies that do some proactive, preemptive things to improve their security, so that when not if something bad happens. But I, I my fear is that a lot of this is driven by hype cycles and in the, the news, and as soon as you stop hearing about it in the news, you're gonna go. Eh, Threats died down.
2: The war's over. We don't have to. The Russians aren't going to hack anymore. Right. 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 I mean, cause, because God knows they've
1: never been doing it before. You know. I right. mean. <laughs> right. Suddenly they're going to quit. Yeah, that's fair. Right. Yeah. It's just a. It's just a. The. The. the, the I don't know. I, I'm just. I'm just hoping that. And this feels almost foolish that we're going to look at security and say it's never happened before here. But it might, and it's a kind of a big deal. So let's let's preemptively do something that's proportional, that's sane, that isn't ah, everything, or eh, eh, who cares? We'll figure it out later. Like somewhere you know, in the middle there.
2: The biggest challenge I think we have, um, is getting people to understand that real security is really hard, and it takes a lot of effort. A lot of groundwork, a lot of time, and and a lot of analysis, a lot of thinking. You can't just buy the answer. You know, everybody just wants to buy the solution, right? Just, Just fix it. Just fix it. Real security means really understanding your environment and really figuring out how you're going to most likely be attacked, where your weaknesses are where we die if we get hit, yeah. and then figuring out how to do the things how to minimize.
3: How hard would security be if we took that piece and said, you know what, we've got experts, it's a small team that that's what they do. They're gonna analyze our system. We talk about this all the time with like CISOs coming in, right? They don't ever get to do anything because they don't have time to analyze. They just have to, we have to keep running. We have to keep running. If you actually took that time so analyze, understand your business, map the data, like do that piece and say, here's where our risk points are. How hard is the rest of that security to implement? Right? It's because, easy. because antivirus isn't hard. RDP is not hard. Like all these things. But what it's, seems hard and complicated is the fact that we're constantly saying we have to do a billion things all at once. And we don't know what effect any single one of those has on our system. Yeah. But we got to do them all.
2: That's exactly right, James. The hardest part is the initial analysis and understanding of the environment and figuring out that what I would call phase one level priorities, like prioritizing your list of to do's now. That's the hardest part. Once you have the list, once you have it's like it's like when when you write down a list of your to do's for today, yeah. oh, okay, I can go do them now. It's figuring them out. that's that's it. that's it. When you can do that, that's the hardest part. That's where I spend like on on my engagements with this. That's where I spend the bulk of my time. And I tell clients it's all gonna come up front because after that, it's just a matter of keeping up and you going and executing. I'm not executing. I'm advising on what to execute, right? Right. But there's no tool for that. There's no, it it takes sitting down and putting in the time. And James, your point reminded me of of something that happened to me when I was a baby lawyer. I was literally like a second-year lawyer. And I was sitting in my office, it was like 6.30 at night, (coughs) and I probably wasn't supposed to, but had my feet up on my desk, and I was literally thinking, and this old, old guy came by, like one of the old seniorist partners. And he's like, hey, Tuma, what are you doing? I said, I'm thinking. I'm trying to figure something out. And he said, you know, you can't bill for that. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, look, clients, they won't pay if you put thinking. You got to put that you're doing something. You know, thinking, it won't. you can't get paid for that. Well, hell, that's the most fundamental part of our job, right? But he was right. Right. You got to be busy. You got to right? be actively making stuff move. Thinking doesn't credit. And
3: that's why I, I say, like, Raph, we've talked about that with CISOs. Like, CISOs come in, you know, it's like, oh man, we got this breath of fresh air. And it's like, oh man, I'm going to analyze this. And then they get in there and realize, like, I don't have time to analyze any of this stuff. Like, and I, I mean, got to keep right. the ship moving forward. I can't yep. take the time to do what we actually need to do. So, will we start to see, or should, hopefully, we'll start to see, like that type of role that you're describing start to become more prevalent that people start using that and say, look, I want somebody to come in first to do this. And then, cause I'm thinking if you were to have, like, say you had a breach, if I can go in there and say, look, here's the analysis we've done, here's the punch list we have, here's the way we're working down through it. Like, this is what it is. Like I can't do anything different versus just coming in and saying, throwing up what we did. Like, here's a bunch of stuff with no planning. Like we're getting to that right spot, but how do you do that? But also cover like some of these things that maybe for a compliance or something like we have to do because we still have that stigma that security is this, it's not that.
2: Yeah, I think it's part of the maturity. It's it's maturing along our understanding and how we handle it. Um, and and no, it's not common. Look, this is not what you're going to hear at a security conference. Because there's nothing to sell other than just time and strategy, right? This is not what you're going to see advertised on, you know, all the bulletins or whatever. But I think it's part of it's part of getting a better understanding of what's working and what's not working. And um, you know, when I get when I can sit down and spend an hour with a, a an, an executive or general counsel or someone and truly explain a process like this to them, it makes sense to them. If I've got five minutes, it ain't going right. anywhere. Five-minute elevator pitches. Yeah, it doesn't work. It takes commitment. It takes time and thinking. And that's where we've got to get to is to understanding security is incredibly hard. Security warfare.
3: Well, that's that that risk that we saw, you know, like with antivirus, right? Like you had the old school blacklist antivirus of, hey, we're going to, you know, here's the signatures. We're just going to look for those. Then you start seeing newer things come out that maybe detect better, but they don't use the same pattern. But it's like, oh, well, I can't use that because, you know, PCI says I have to use this type of antivirus. I remember all that, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's that same type of thing. Like, hey, there's kind of this new way we should be strategizing around this but nobody else is doing that so I'm curious do you find it easier I'm assuming you work with big small people that have security groups people that don't easier to implement this type of thinking and, and come in as as your side to a company that doesn't really have like big security and, and that stuff in place and more of a we don't do any of that and it's like yes I'm glad you don't do any of that because we're gonna do it right (laughs) yeah so so
2: the 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 ones no you're you're exactly right um big companies it's sean what the hell do you know about this you're just this lawyer right i've been doing it 22 years but i'm just this lawyer right i'm not a i'm not a whatever credentials person because i don't have any of them and they've got experts that have the highest level of experience, training, whatever. And 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 they do all right, so and, and usually they do a much better job, right? Usually if I come in and I'm and I'd go through this process with them, I'm having to stretch to come up with a, a 10, 10 items that that I think, you know, because they've got people that are that are great at that. To me, and and the small companies can't afford it. It's not that I can't tailor. I can spend an hour or 10 hours or 20 hours, however they're comfortable with to help move forward, right? But they don't have the money often uh, to bring in an MSP or they don't have the money to bring in a security firm or an EDR tool or whatever whatever it's going to be to data map or figure out what data you have. You don't have to use the word data map. What data do you have, right? It's the mid-market companies that I work best with here because they have enough, not intelligence, sophistication to realize they need to do this. They also have some budget to work with, whether it's a small amount or a larger amount, and they have the team to implement. Because, again, all I'm trying to do is help get them many times connected with the right people to help them do the things they need to right, do the sorry. most that they don't real, realize. Sometimes right. it's simple. I mean, sometimes it's coming in and encrypt encrypt your laptops. You know, especially if you're healthcare. For God's sakes, if you're walking around with an unencrypted laptop, that's your biggest breach risk that you don't know about. I don't. You don't need a credential to tell them that, right? Or you yeah. know, I'll you the biggest one right now that I'm stinging from and I'm telling everybody how often do you go into your email and delete out old unnecessary data or archive it and, and get it out of that account out of that account. You know why I say that we've got a, a breach we're handling for a healthcare practice where um, a, one of the key people in the practice had one Office 365 email account exposed Bad guys got in it, synced it, downloaded all the data. The, the, the data was almost 70 gigabytes oh. in that email account. The cost to data mine it would have been hundreds of thousands of dollars. Holy so cow. Instead, we're having to do a full notification.
3: This is the problem with you, email providers providing two terabytes of data for your email.
2: There's no reason for it. Exactly. But whoever thinks about that is a security risk
1: yeah it's a liability but look i sure think i think it's liable. safe to say anytime you you anytime you start to get a pile of anything that you haven't looked at in a while it keeps growing that's your liability that becomes a liability Um yeah. all right we go ahead no I'm, I'm we're we got another hour or two right <laughs>
2: <laughs> man I feel we feel could like we keep could. talking for another
1: we, we could this could go all right we, we're coming up on 45 minutes. i think it's the upper bounds here it's good to have you man uh, but but you're optimistic is is what you're telling us you're you're op, you're an optimist now maybe
2: I, I think if we can if if we can <clears throat> show a path because when I talk to executives it's not that they don't want to do security it's not that they're not willing to spend something on it it's that they're they're being inundated with these 25 item lists of best practices and they're told they've got to go do everything. And, and it's paralysis by analysis because they're just like, I can't do it all. I can't afford it. We'll be out of business. I got to meet payroll. So we're just going to do nothing. And if you can help bring some simplicity and some clarity and say, look, I get that you can't do all of these, but let's pick four five, three, two that are going to have the most impact that you can do right now. Well, let's do that Mm -hmm. now. And then let's talk in six months or a year, whatever. And then let's do two more and two more. That's what they want to hear. They just want somebody to bring some simplicity to this as much as practical understanding. You're not eliminating the risk. You're just improving that that goes a long way with these people.
1: Well, James, we're looking for practical and uh, and and boy, if I had a quarter for every time this podcast we've talked about just just enough that's practical or just proportional. All right, Tuma, that's it. We gotta let you go. Thank you for uh, joining us, sir. It's always Stay a warm pleasure. over there. Rub some sticks. Rub some sticks together. I think you might have some law books that uh, you, <laughs> could, you could use as kindling. You want me to pull down my
2: b- a bottle of uh, uh, frostbite snakebite up here? I'm, I'm good. Oh man, that'll
1: get you warm. I'm good. Yep, no, always good, guys. Thank you
3: all so much. It's always a pleasure.
1: All right, James, good to have you board. This is a good episode.
3: Yeah, good episode. This is, this is great info, man. I'm changing my whole look on security right now. It's 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 happening. I you we know may look, not I, be I able just, to help,
2: help
1: all of them, but we
2: can right. help one at a time.
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right, folks. I hope you're that one at a time. Uh, thanks for listening. This has been yet another edition of the Down the Security Rabbit Hole Podcast with our good buddy Mr. Sean Tuma. And uh, we'll catch you guys another time, another place uh, on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. We'll catch
0: everybody later. Take care. As we fade out on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole episode, we'd like to encourage you to chat with our hosts and guests using the Twitter hashtag pound DTSR. Please check out the show notes, catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. So on behalf of Rafal, James, for now it's goodbye. We'll see you soon on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast.